Welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, before I get into this week's episode, just wanted to uh, let you know I've got an exhibition on at the moment at uh, Bromley & Co. in Windsor, in Melbourne. Uh, if you happen to be around, it's on till May 3rd, so uh, check it out. Uh, this week, I catch up with British artist Ben Ein. Uh, ben Ein happens to be in town for the Untold Project, which is happening at the old Nilex building on Punt Road in Richmond. There's a great lineup for the exhibition. Uh, lots of previous podcast guests, um, artists such as Elliot Rutledge, uh, Anthony Lister, Amok Island, uh, myself, and Georgia Hill, just to name a few. The exhibition's open to the public from the 21st to the 29th of April. Um, yeah, check it out if you're in town. It's uh, going to be a really good one. For more details, you can uh, find it online at untold.melbourne. Uh, without further ado, here's the interview with Ben Ein. How you going? I'm doing good. Yeah, doing really good. Uh, yeah, about to continue painting a wall in Wellington Street on in Collingwood for the Reach Foundation. Yeah, mm. is is that is that what's brought you to Melbourne? Uh, oh, what's brought me to Melbourne? Uh, basically, Roly that used to do V&A magazine is like dear old friend of mine. He was like, uh, do you want to paint a wall? We're doing a little pop-up art thing. Uh, we do a screen print. So it's the combination of the three things that brought me here. And I haven't been to Melbourne since 2003 uh, when I came over with Banksy. And I got some family over here that I haven't seen in like 100 years. So, yeah. And yeah, and then I get to stop at Tokyo on the way back, which is great. So. Yeah. So, didn't have to twist your arm too hard? No, it was like, what else am I doing? So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was weird. I was like, I was sitting, I went to Florence a little while ago, like a few weeks ago. I was sitting on an airplane going to Florence, and it's like two and a half hour flight, and I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe I've agreed to sit on an airplane for 24 hours and fly around the other side of the world. Yeah. But, you know, I'm here now, so happy. Yeah, it's pretty, um, bit of a shit flight, that one. I've done it a few times myself. Yeah, I've done it quite a lot, and it's it's just fuck. I, I, I can't sleep on airplanes. Like even if I take Valium and Xanax, and I just wind up taking my clothes off and being weird. So I just literally just watch movies for like yeah eighteen hours. But yeah, I'm here. So yeah. So um, like you're from London, but do you yeah. do you you live in America now? Is that right? No, uh, I w- I went to I did this art thing in LA quite a few years ago. And I met this gorgeous American woman and we fell in love and she came to London and stayed with me for like three months and she was living in San Francisco so I'd go to San Francisco quite a lot and I'd been spending a bit of time in San Francisco so I really loved the city or certain neighbourhoods of the city like the Tenderloin. And uh, we wound up getting married because she was just sick of me leaving every three months mm-hmm. to get so I could come back with another tourist visa. So fell in love, got married she got pregnant, we bought a house in San Francisco. As soon as she got married, I applied for a green card. So I was in San Francisco for three and a half years. And then by which time we'd broken up and like we were living separately. And then I got uh, an email from Homeland Security or the immigration services saying, oh, your green card's been denied, you have to leave the country immediately. So I phoned up my lawyer and I was like, yeah, what's going on? 
And he was like, oh, let me talk to them and see what's happening. And he, he like phoned me up like five days later and was like, no, you have to leave now. So literally I'd shipped everything I owned in England, beds, furniture, all my art collection, my entire studio to America. And I had to leave like two days after I spoke to my lawyer. <laughs> I just rammed as much shit as I could in a suitcase and flew back to London with like no home, no English bank accounts, probably had an English, I've still got the same English telephone number. So yeah, it was just like ridiculous. And yeah, so a little while ago I applied for an Esther and they declined it. So mm. kind of banned from America. However, uh, a friend of mine, he said to me, you've never been on holiday unless you've been deported. <laughs> so there you go. So I've been on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like, you know, I got to spend three and a half years living in California. Yeah. Not many people get that opportunity, so, you know, why be down about it? It's like, I had a great time. I've got an amazing four-year-old daughter, so, yeah, still friends with the ex-wife. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Good stuff. So you, um, you got your creative start through uh, doing graffiti. Certainly did. Is, uh, like, how did you, like, get into graffiti? Uh, basically, I couldn't break dance. <laughs> um, so hip-hop got... Hip-hop, graffiti, breakdancing, blah, blah. Uh, on the back of Martha Cooper and various, you know, documentaries or whatever. Got exported from New York all over the world. And I was at the right age at the right time. And I was like, I need to be part of this. This is incredible. And literally, I couldn't breakdance. And I had very, very vague interest in art. And I was really good at running away. <laughs> so it was literally perfect. So yeah, I did like loads and loads of graffiti for like years and years and years, like tagged everything, destroyed trains, and then got arrested loads of times, and then like started getting into like more like production train pieces that actually looked good rather than just fucking things up. And then, but I was also, I'd been arrested quite a few times, I was just like massively disillusioned with graffiti. I was like, like when I first opened up Subway Art, I was like, like literally it became my Bible. It blew my mind that this existed. And I'd never, I didn't know about it. Like there was these people, six hours on an airplane away from me doing this like stuff that was like, I couldn't imagine doing it. And I was like, this is what I have to do. This is literally, I'm gonna dedicate my life to doing this. That scene, Hand of Doom, top to bottom, whole car. I was like, I'm going to do that. You know, it took years and blah, blah, blah. And I wound up doing stuff like that. But I like, you know, graffiti, when I discovered it, it was the most important, amazing art form in the world and it was gonna change the world and no art would ever be the same after it. And then fast forward 20 years, it just didn't. It, like, it didn't progress in the way that I thought it might. And there were so many self-imposed rules with graffiti writers. And then, and then, like I said, I've been arrested quite a few times. They were gonna send me to prison the next time they caught me doing graffiti. I really didn't wanna go to prison for graffiti. And then there were these weird people, Banksy, Shepherd Fairy, Foul, Bast that were doing something that wasn't graffiti, that was just more interesting. Like, most of these people had 
you know, an education food graffiti and they were doing something slightly different. And I was like, wow, this is cool. So I kind of got into street art, but I fundamentally got into street art because I saw it as a way where I could continue painting illegally and not get arrested mm. because it wasn't destructive. People didn't hate it. It improves areas, improves neighborhoods. So yeah, so that's, I got into street art. Yeah. So when, when you were doing graffiti, which, um, like which element of it, like were you focused mainly on trains or streets or like insides or? or uh, I did, like, I'd literally, I destroyed streets. Like there was a point in London, I don't know what year it was, but I used to write with this guy called Abel and literally me and him had every door on every carriage on like three different train lines. Yeah. Like we were militant about the way that we did it. Is that like the district in circle and all that? Yeah, sort of district stuff? circle, little mat. Yeah. Like every door on every carriage on every train. Yeah. Was ours. We were like So I just I I like the fact that you're doing something for like the most retarded reason in the world, apart from your an a, a juvenile with an ego, and you're writing a name. So it's the most retarded reason and the most retarded crime. But it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I, um, the first time I ever went to London, it was like back in 2001, and I was like fresh off the plane, never left Melbourne before. Mm. Like I'd been to Sydney and stuff, yeah. that was it. But um, I remember um, I arrived and I saw those Solo One stickers everywhere, the yeah. Royal Mail ones. Yeah. I thought, oh, I'm going to go get myself some of those stickers, you know. Went to, um, I was in Soho, went to the, uh, the post office Ooh. and then grabbed a pile of stickers and had these two guys behind me go hey they're our stickers like that <laughs> i turned around and it was two black guys and i thought they were the coolest looking dudes ever because one of them had um it was ebbs and mir no yeah and uh ebbs had cornrows and mir had gold teeth and that and i thought man these dudes look like wu-tang or something i thought they were the coolest looking guys ever yeah i started really? hanging out with them and um, yeah. i didn't realize like once i started traveling like the district and circle lines Ooh. i realized that they had the insides just yeah, like yeah, yeah. Mia, yeah, was up. Yeah, yeah. Mia was up at one minute. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it, it was like a few years after that, I really started to notice the um, the shutters that you were doing all over London, yeah. and that was like the first time I really like took notice of who you were. Like I had friends say, "Oh yeah, he's a he's a graph writer, been around for years and all that mm. type of stuff." But um, yeah, like how'd you go about like you know doing you. Just for people that don't know, Ben was doing um, massive individual letters that took the top to bottom of the whole width of each roller door and doing yeah, all the work so, Yeah, so basically I was kind of like, you know, and it wasn't like I stopped doing graffiti and started doing street art. It was like a slow progression. It was like, mm. I, like, the, time, like the, the time I thought I can't do graffiti anymore, it was like, it was me, Oka and someone else and we were going to, do, we were going to some train yard park the car, we've got the bags of paint, we're walking down the road, I hop over the fence and literally as I'm on the top of the fence, like undercover cops drive past. Ollie and whoever else it was, Kems or Dells or someone, they got nicked, I was over the other side of the fence, got away. They both got sent to prison for going to quit to cause criminal damage. And I was like, dude, I can't go to prison. And you know, I'd been doing like t-shirt designs and you know, I was like hand stenciling stickers and doing posters and sticking up posters. And I was like, I really can't fucking go to prison for graffiti. And at the time, I was living in like Hoxton, Shoreditch, kind of Old Street. And it was pretty grimy back then. And there was just like loads of empty shops. And there was all these shutters that were covered in tags. 
I'm like, dude, I'm just going to roll up at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. None of these shops are open. No one's about. And just do individual letters on each shutter. Mm. You know, so I wrote messages down roads. But I think over the course of, like, I don't know, like, two months, I did, like, 60 shutters in this one, like, pretty tight little neighbourhood. And before that, there was, like, sometimes a bit of, like, you know, like a piece on a shutter but they were just all covered in tags. Mm. So I did a load of those and then, but I never, I never signed them and like nobody knew it was me that was doing it. So, you know, over the course of two months, all these shutters appeared that were just bright blockbuster letters that weren't really saying anything, that weren't advertising anything, there wasn't a tag on them. And everyone was like, what the fuck is this? And it was just interesting, I was like, this is way more interesting than graffiti. Mm. And I don't have permission, and I'm doing it in the daytime, and I'm not getting arrested. Hmm. I was like, this is great, and then kind of progressed to doing like big like blockbuster words, and you know, and even like back then, it was like if somebody saw you with a can of spray paint, they just instantly thought graffiti and phoned the police. So like a lot of the original ones that I did were like emulsion and paintbrushes, mm. and then I'd just spray paint the outline. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, now, like I, was, I painted this wall, I don't know, a year or so ago. There's a really cool artist in London called Gary Stranger. So I had these, there was this old bridge. It's like literally right in the middle of Shoreditch, Liverpool Street. And I was like, phone up Gary, and I was like, Gary, I've got these two walls we can paint. Haven't got permission. But I was like, trust me, we're not going to get arrested. So he wrote Strangers on one side, and I wrote Boring on the other side. And it kind of took us two days to do it, and... I think Gary had finished, and I was just finishing off some last bits. And these cop cars rolled around the corner, lights on. Cops pulled up, I was like, oh God, and the cops were like, someone just phoned us up and said their kid's doing graffiti. And he's like, you're not kids and you're not doing graffiti. Hmm. Have a nice day, drove off. Totally didn't have permission. It's like, you know, it's like, it's the art getting over. It's like, why paint stuff at night? Hmm. Just, and it's like you're older, so it's like when you look older, you can get away with it. Exactly. Yeah. So with the, the fonts that you use um, in your artwork, do you um, select them so they've got like um, like Phil's outline and like a decorative element so you can you know work at it like you would like a graffiti piece? It's yeah. literally like literally what I do. Like I was with Kat in New York and we're like we're like top end of like Manhattan Bronx and it's like he's lined us loads of shutters to paint and it's like so we're literally doing like twenty shutters a night and it's like this is just like doing whole cars. Mm. And that's, you know, it's just graffiti slightly changed so you can read it, so you can understand it, and it's happy. Mm. It's, just, it's just like doing, yeah, top to bottom whole cars. Just yeah. fat caps all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Be, being that um, like 99% of graffiti writers have absolutely no interest in the art world, like, um, how did you get like uh, interested in actually making a career as an artist? Um... not through choice through the fact that I can't do anything else so I used to have a job like suit and tie worked at Lloyd's of London for like 10 years I'd literally go to work every day well most days suit and tie and I hated it and I hated everybody I worked with and I was doing graffiti and I was going out at lunchtime in my suit with marker pens and marsh ink mixed with leather dye and like doing insides 
and then going yards in the evening and then going out to nightclubs and I hated my job. And then again, it's like, there wasn't a point where I was like, I'm leaving work and I'm gonna be an artist. It was like a really slow progression. I was like, I hooked up with this company in Japan and started doing some clothes and t-shirts and slowly I did a print with uh, a company that doesn't exist anymore and A Life in New York. This was like fucking, yeah, years and years and years ago. So it was like a really, really slow progression. And then uh, the company that I was working for got bought out by an American company and I had the option to take redundancy. And I was like, damn, I'm gonna fucking, I'm gonna leave this. I don't wanna wear a suit and tie anymore. So I took redundancy and then I went to the tattoo shop and I got stars tattooed up my arm and on my hands. And then weirdly in Melbourne, I got tattoo on my neck. I don't know, I can't remember who did it. But anyway, so basically I got, yeah, tattoos on my hands so I couldn't go back to that way of life again. Mm. So, you know, I worked in a bar called the Dragon Bar, which is like quite instrumental in like the street art graffiti movement in London. Worked on building sites and then slowly turned it into an art form. And it's like, I don't know, the last 10 years, I've made money out of being an artist. But like, you know, the first, like, you know, the first however many, six years, I gave away so many paintings. Hmm. I sold paintings from like, through galleries for 500 quid, that would now be like 15,000 pounds. Hmm. You know, so I'd do a painting, I was like, I was literally working for less than minimum wage. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's you know, like, you know, graffiti to street art, you know, artist to fine artist. There's never like, just like turning a page of a book. It's, yeah. it's always a gradual, slow process. Yeah, you don't just flick a switch and it all happens. Like yeah, and it's like, yeah, now, now I've got an art show, I'm going to make money. It's like, no, you've got an art show, but you're not going to sell anything. And if you do, <laughs> you literally sold it for nothing. <laughs> You know, it's just like everything you do leads on to something else. Yeah. So I think now it's deciding the things not to do rather than saying yes to everything. Yeah. Have you ever um, like done any art outside of type-based art? Uh, yeah. Uh, I was commissioned by a newspaper in England called, I think it was The Guardian or The Observer, and they commissioned... I think 10 artists to do a modern royal portrait. The Guardian's quite anti-royalist, so... But weirdly, the Queen, she has a portrait done every year. So, you know, a modern royal portrait does actually exist. But so, yeah, they picked a bunch of people. So I did a portrait of Prince Charles. So I found this wall that I can paint. And, you know, obviously my original idea was like, yeah, I'm going to just write Prince Charles in, you know, my typography. And I was like, oh, no, you know, this is an opportunity for me to, you know, try something new. So I got this really cool image of Prince Charles, and it was like he's playing polo, and it was like when he first met Camilla, so he's happy, you know. And I pixelated it, and then I got this huge great big wall, it was like eight metres high, and like gridded out this wall, and literally did a pixelated portrait. Is it true that um, like Barack Obama's got one of your paintings? He has indeed. How'd that come about? <laughs> Banksy wasn't available. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, I did this job for this woman called Annie Heinmark, 
she's like a posh handbag lady, so I did some bags, for, I did some designs for her, and she had them printed up in bags. Uh, so I worked with Annie Heinmark, uh, David Cameron, who's just become the Prime Minister of England. Uh, he's going to Washington to meet Obama. Obama has a vague interest in street art. Shepherd Fairy, Hope, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I think a week before I got the phone call, I had a double page spread in like one of the national newspapers. So it was a combination of they could get in touch with me. The double page spread put the idea in their head and Obama do Shepherd. Mm. And, you know, I'm one of the most famous or well-known street artists in England. And I think they'd already agreed to do an art swap. So it was like Friday night and I'm in my studio and I'm cutting out all these stencils because it's like the wall that I want to paint in London. So I'm in my studio Friday night cutting out these stencils and I get a phone call and it's on your home mark. And I'm like, yeah, I know, how are you, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, do you mind if I pass your number onto Downing Street? They want to talk to you about projects. I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Then 10 minutes later, Downing Street phoned me up and it's like, uh, yeah, so David Cameron's agreed to do an art swap with President Obama. Uh, and we're really interested in your work. And I was like, oh, it's actually quite cool. Uh, so I'm like, all right, sweet. It's like, when do you need the painting by? And they're like, Monday. <laughs> I'm like, what, you haven't known about this for like a couple of months or something? So basically I spent all weekend at my studio. I made some paintings, send them photographs of stuff that's available, and they picked a painting that I'd previously done and shown in New York, but weirdly I had it back. Uh, it was called 21st Century City, and uh, so they chose that painting, and they're like, how much do you want for it? I was like, nothing. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, how many other people are they talking to? You know, is price gonna be an issue? Mm. I'm like, dude, just have it. I don't want a penny for it. Three days later, I'm in every single newspaper for like two days. There was like lines of like, BBC, CNN, Sky, outside my studio, just days and days of interviews. I literally, everything that existed anywhere in the world that hadn't already sold, sold in like two days. So it was like strategic move, giving it away, knowing that like, like, you were making money off it. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. like, people are like, how much, how much did they give you for that painting? I was like, it's not how much they gave me for the painting, it's like how much I got off the back of giving them the painting. Yeah. So yeah, so a uh, friend of a friend kind of did some work for the Obama people. Because I've never seen a photograph of it. Like I literally I gave it to them and that was the end of it. So I didn't see a photograph of it and I was like so I spoke to my friend and they like done some work for the Obama people. And I was like Do you know where my painting is? So apparently, whilst the Obamas were in the White House, it was in one of their daughter's bedrooms. And when they left, they took it with them, so it's still in a bedroom. Cool. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> if Obama, if you were listening to this, please, I want a selfie with you in front of my painting. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had any other um, massive gigs like that? I did a painting for Carl Lagerfeld, that's the designer for Chanel. Mm. Well, I think he's kind of on his way out, but... 
so I did a painting, some, a magazine, an English magazine, commissioned me to do a painting for his birthday. And he sent me a note that said, Ben Iron is beyond chic. <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Carl Lagerfeld says, Ben Iron is beyond chic. It's like, oh God, you're so French. <laughs> So yeah, I don't know, yeah, no, lots of like little weird things, but like I generally sell my paintings through galleries, so mm-hmm. I don't know who buys them. Yeah. I did a, uh, I was in my, not Miami, I was in LA for this show at MoCA. Jeffrey Dyer, Georgia Gassman, uh, and Aaron Rose did this show. And I'm there, and I've painted a big wall inside the museum, and I get stuck talking to this fucking prick from an art gallery, and I was like, and I'd taken some ecstasy tablets and all I wanted to do was fuck off and shake this girl that I was kind of seeing at the time. And he just kept on going on and on and on and on. And then like, just other gallery dude came over and he's like, yo, Seth Rogen wants to say hello to you. Didn't know who he was. I was like, no, I can't talk to anybody else. I've been stuck with him. I was like, I'm going off to be with this girl. Then I get an email from Seth Rogen saying, oh, I really like your art. So I didn't talk to you in LA. Uh, I'd like to buy this print. Again, don't know who Seth Rogen is. I was like, sorry, sold out, try eBay. Then I'm walking down the road, I see a poster with his name on it for advertising the movie. I was like, that's the damn, no way. Uh, yeah, hi Seth. Anyway, yes, send him a painting. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just weird how things work out. Yeah. So before, um, before all this like kicked off, it was like a bit of a slow climb and then it all exploded for you. It's still a slow climb. Just like, get some big wins in between. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like every now and then you hit a home run, but most of the time you're like three strikes and you're out. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, um, like, I saw you interviewing Juxtapose a while back, and I really like the fact that you put a um, one of your whole cars in there, mm. like amongst all your art. Like, is it still uh, important for you that you let people know where you're from? Yeah, it's important. It's like, dude, we smashed it when we were kids. Plus so many whole cars and whole trains and panels and yeah, we were at it for quite a bit. Yeah. But it's like, and this is, this is why street art is amazing because the majority of people that are like the best at street art started with graffiti, like Os Geminos, Barry McGee, like all of these people were graffiti writers and they took that graffiti mentality and turned it into something that people appreciate and isn't destruction. Yeah. I saw you on uh, on telly the other day, twice, in two different um, documentaries. Really? Yeah. Saving Net- Banksy? Netflix, yeah, Saving Banksy and, um, and Blurred Lines. What's Blurred Lines? Oh, it's quite interesting. It's all about the, um, the art world, all the bits really? and pieces. Yeah, and you, um, you've got an interview in there. That's weird. Can you send me a link to it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah send me a link. I'll, I'll give you my chance. Never mind. So, oh, <laughs> so how, like, how did all those gigs come about? Because you were like on um, the Saving Banksy, you were like the Banksy's spokesman, weren't you? So, uh, I'd been living in San Francisco for a minute. Uh, there was a gallery that I worked with that never paid me, cunts. Uh, and I did an interview on Chrome 4 News, and this guy Brian ran Chrome 4, which is like BBC for San Francisco, blah, blah. Uh, 
So anyway, so Banksy came to town, he did all these paintings, and they all got painted over or tagged over. And there was one painting in Haight, Ashbury, Haight Street, of a rat. And a red line, Brian is a massive art supporter, loves art for the right reasons. And my friend Colin M. Day is an amazing photographer and makes really, really heartfelt and passionate documentaries. Mm. So those two got together and they made an interview, oh, they, they made a, doc, a documentary movie about saving this Banksy rat on the walls. And, and obviously I got a little bit of history with Banksy and I was living in San Francisco at the time. I'd met Brian a couple of times. I was good friends with Colin. So they were like, yeah, kind of be the spokesperson for this movie. Cool. I've never watched it. That's good. It's uh, it's quite interesting. It's it's weird because you know it's something that's on the streets and what happens on the streets. It, it, you know, well, things no. get covered up, things get gone over. But um, I guess with that, they're really trying to hold on to. This it's really interesting you say that because like I did like you know they like they came to my studio like three times and like filmed me and you know we chatted and blah blah blah, and yeah, I passionately believe that as an artist. I paint something in my studio, which I sign, I put my name to, it goes to a gallery, somebody buys it. That's the art that I would like to represent me in the future when I'm dead. The stuff I paint on the street, it's fun, it's experimenting, it's different. So after I did, like the, after I did all the filming for the documentary, there was a really amazing Keith Haring show at the De Young Museum. Hands down, the best thing at the Keith Haring show were the chalk posters from New York subways that somebody had stolen. <laughs> Hands down. Yeah. So there's, you know, you know, art's a conundrum, isn't it? So all this shit that, like, you know, that evil German Kester dude is, like, selling for a million dollars maybe one day the Young Museum in the future will do a Banksy show and the best things they can get because everything he sells in private collections and nobody knows where it is. The best thing that the Young Museum, which is an amazing museum and put on an amazing show, is this stuff that's been stolen from the streets. Mm. It's not what you want to represent you, but it might just be the most exciting thing in the show. Yeah. So... Like, you know, as you said, if someone had a, like stolen the train with that scene Hand of Doom panel that you were mesmerised by as a kid. Yeah, I'm like, oh, don't matter what scene he's doing now, that would be the best thing in any scene show ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's like real, it's history, it's like, yeah, so yeah, it's complicated, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Try not to encourage people to steal street art and sell it on eBay. I do, yeah, okay, right. So, in 1989, Keith Haring came to London, hooked up with my friend Barnsley. Barnsley took him to a party. My friend Drax, old graffiti writer friend of mine, put on the party. Everyone's there, they're all graffiti writers. They get Keith Haring to take the wall. Drax, because he's not an idiot, goes back in the morning, cuts out this piece of plasterboard, has it under his bed for 20 years. Drax is a big football fan, wants to go to Brazil for the World Cup. Phones me up, he's like, Ben, you want to buy Keith Haring? 
Now I know the story, I know he's got Keith Haring under his bed. So I'd buy this Keith Haring. <laughs> it's the most expensive piece of art I've ever bought. And it was like I transferred him some money and I was living in California at the time. My wife saw my bank, we had like joint bank accounts, and my wife looked at my bank statement and she's like, Why have you paid A. Hayes £5,000? I'm like, I bought this. And she's like, You've paid £5,000 for a fucking doodle. I'm like, No, I've paid £12,000. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Keith Haring, he's never going to make another one. Exactly. Yeah. And I've got Keith Haring. And at least you know all the money reached. Uh, he went to Brazil. Jackson's, yeah, uh, pocket didn't. Uh, there was yeah. no middleman. Yeah, fifty percent. You know, Drax yeah. went to Brazil, saw some football, shaming and the rubbish. But yeah, he had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, like, do you have any any uh, up and coming projects on the go? Uh, just finished a load of paintings for Beyond the Streets in LA. The lineup for this is insane. Like, I think there might be like 90 artists. Like, it's literally going to be the best like museum street art show ever. Like, insane. So, just finished that. I'm here. Then I'm in Tokyo for a week, painting a little wall in Tokyo, and then like catching up with some friends. Then I'm in London. Then I go to Colombia to paint something, and then Moscow to paint something for the Gumball Rally, and then somewhere, and then somewhere else. Cool. Sounds good. Living the dream. Well, I'm living the dream. I'm just paying loads of rent for somewhere I'm never at. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah kind of living, living a dream. Yeah. Well, you need to store your stuff somewhere, don't you? Exactly. I'm yeah. sure a container would be cheaper, but yeah. probably a little bit colder. So, yeah. There's nothing yeah. better than coming home and all your stuff's all set up and ready to live in. <laughs> I much prefer hotels. I get into the age now. I was like, much prefer hotels than having a, having a house or an apartment. Yeah. Um, so, if people want to see your uh, your art online, where's the best best place for them to check it out? Uh, my Instagram, uh, Einstein's on Instagram. I don't have a website, I don't have Facebook. Yeah, just Google me or yeah, my Instagram. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, stopping the mural you're doing and uh, sitting down and having a chat because uh, I know you're a busy man. It's like I feel guilty, uh, you know, putting a pause on your project, but it's been not good that to have guilty. A chat. <laughs> no, not that guilty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'll sleep tonight. I will, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. But if you didn't want to do it, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. Exactly. So, so check out my new tattoo. I just saw that. Kang kangaroo. Upside down kangaroo. Yeah? Did you do it yourself? No. I'm not that good. Uh, <laughs> I was just like drunk and I was like, found a little tattoo shop around the corner and I was like, like, what do you want? I was like, yeah, I want a kangaroo. So we just Googled kangaroo and then I redrew it and yeah. When was that? I don't know, like two days ago, three days ago. So you're having a good time in Melbourne? There's like so many friends here. Yeah. You know, Al, Lister, Kashink, Rowley, got family here. Yeah. Yeah, so it's great. Not a bad part of the world. Once you get here, it's all right. <laughs> it's the in-between <laughs> part that's a pain yeah, in the arse. Yeah, it's that London to, London to Melbourne bit that's like a pain in the arse. Yeah.
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To find out more about today's guests, go to benchtalkpodcast.com. There you'll find all previous episodes and images of the guest's artwork. Also follow us on Instagram, bench underscore talk. There you can keep up to date with all things that are happening with the podcast. Bench Talk's also streaming on SoundCloud and Facebook. Just simply search for Bench Talk Podcast. Or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review. It helps get the word out. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to tell a friend. Thanks again for tuning in and stay tuned for next week's episode. Bye.